lovelies, and welcome to another edition of LGBT in the Ring, your rainbow bastion for all things pro wrestling. I am your host, Brian Bell, here once again on the Outsports Podcast Network, ready to chat uh, pro wrestling in all its many forms, and uh, I'm not going to lie, as I'm recording this on Wednesday, it has been a very depressing day when it comes to the pro wrestling industry. Um, the show itself today, we're going to get into some of these topics, but I wanted to lead off here. Um, it's been a very trying time over the past 24 hours, I'd say, for uh, people within WWE. Um, obviously, there's been a lot of issues going on with WWE over the past week or so, from you know the decision being made to go back to doing live broadcasts of their weekly programming, that means, you know, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday night, they're going live for the Performance Center in Orlando. And we've seen multiple investigative reports that saw, like, back in March and in April that Orange County authorities had gone to the Performance Center and told them they were in violation of the Florida stay-at-home order, only to have Governor Ron DeSantis deem WWE and other sports organizations uh, essential businesses on April 9th, having that tie into... Uh, a, a very timely donation of $18.5 million from America First Action, a super PAC run by Linda McMahon, uh, the wife of Vince McMahon and former CEO of WWE. Um, there's a lot of moving parts with this story, but the worst of the moving parts came down Wednesday. Uh, WWE announced there were going to be furloughs and layoffs, they were cutting back executive salaries, and were going to be reducing talent costs, and that came swiftly. Um, a number of WWE talents have been released. Um, a number of wrestlers, high-profile wrestlers, some um, have been shown the door there. A number of producers behind the scenes have been furloughed, according to Pro Wrestling Sheet. Um, and Mike Johnson over at PW Insider. Uh, it's this this whole thing is just spiraling. Um, Ever since, uh, I'd say, noon Eastern on on Wednesday. Um, and before we get into the show, because we're going to have uh, uh, fan fights, uh, Colette Aaron on here, friend of the show, to discuss these matters more in depth. Um, and then, it's it, this, ep- this week's episode, it's going to be one of those diametrically opposing segments because after after I speak to Colette um, I got to sit down with some very very close friends of mine that I actually got my start in media with back in college um, Sarah Rose and Hollis Adler um, and it was the first time that we've recorded in years and, and it was a really awesome experience and probably the most fun that I've had um, just unadulterated fun that I've had since the quarantine went down and um, knowing that a day after coming off of such a joyous high of recording that with them to see so many people um, within WWE impacted by this issue and all because of, uh, I don't know, just WWE has a very odd way of looking at uh, optics and they obviously don't care how they look to the public when it comes to these things. And it's it's really, really frustrating. But um, condolences to all of the people that were released. 
I know a number of them will land on their feet in many of the places. Um, you know, the names are, it seems to be continually updating as, we, as we're going along here. But um, it's a sizable number of names, and, and the list is probably only going to grow as we keep going into the week. But um, we'll talk more about that here in just a second with, with Colette Aaron. Uh, and definitely stick around after uh, my conversation with Colette because I tell you, this, this, my, I love sitting down with, with Hollis and Sarah. And it's good to know that the energy that we had when we were co-hosts on radio and, and internet live stream shows back like for going back over almost a decade at this point close to over a decade at this point um, it's good to know that that energy is still there even though we haven't really recorded anything in, in three years and I think that it's a really good pick me up it's, it's the perfect thing that I needed in this moment and I think that it's a something that um, at least it will entertain <laughs> and if not make you laugh hopefully um, but yeah either way we're going to kick this week's episode off with my conversation with Colette Aaron from FanFight. What's up, guys, guys, and non-binary pals? Welcome back to LGBT in the Ring, and I am very pleased to be joined at this time. Um, I wish it was under different circumstances, but um, she has been doing a lot of awesome coverage over at FanFight.com regarding uh, the recent developments with WWE being classified as an essential business um, in leading up to today's uh, untimely talent releases and furloughs and WWE, quote-unquote, tightening the belt. Um, one, Colette, Aaron, how are you doing today, Colette? Oh, I'm doing just fine. How are you? <laughs> I, I think I'm right there with you on, on the just fine tick, um, <laughs> as best as I can be for a day that's been immensely uh, depressing. I would say, in some ways, yeah, it's not not exactly a great time to be into professional wrestling. No, no, it's not. Um, and speaking about that, you had a really um, comprehensive piece go up on Fan Fight earlier today. Um, an unbearable descent into hell, WWE as an essential business. And I looked over the piece, and it's a very comprehensive look at what's been happening since April 9th, basically. Um, that was the day that uh, Ron DeSantis, the governor down in Florida, deemed WWE as an essential business, along with all other sports and entertainment properties, um, and kind of led us to where we are now, where earlier today, um, WWE released a statement saying that they were going to be cutting costs. Basically, um, they were pausing construction on their new facility in Stamford, Connecticut, as well as making mm -hmm. uh, talent cuts. And they were going to be furloughing some employees, and there was going to be uh, cuts for executive salaries as well. Um, the most devastating and most publicly devastating thing, I think we kind of hinted to already, were the talent cuts. Because this morning they came pretty um i would say quickly paced but even then they kind of trickled out here and there names just kept being added on to the list as it went on throughout the day and i think we're up to we're in the double digits now of of talent that's been released from the company um yeah what was your initial reaction to like getting the news that wwe was going to be cutting costs earlier today and then seeing like the talent that being released 
I mean, so there's there's like a couple of things. Like the really like I was writing the article that I that I that got published today like before it broke that they were going to be making cuts. Um and you know, that's not how WWE phrased it in their press release that came out today where like what they said was they were going to be reducing talent expenditure. Mm-hmm. Um which initially like what I thought that meant was, you know, making decisions as to like which, you know, wrestlers were necessary to being at the show, um, which would have, you know, essentially put those wrestlers uh, in a situation where they were at least making their downside guarantee, like the, the minimum amount of money that WWE is contractually obligated to pay out to, you know, a performer. Um what I I wasn't expecting was that within two hours of um, of releasing that press release that they would then go on a tear of like releasing talent that for the most part has been relegated to their B shows. Um, and these are like long tenured employees, like the longest tenured employee that they let go of today was uh, like referee Mike Kyoto, who has worked for the company uh, in some capacity for 31 years. Yeah. Um, and then you have like other people like Zach Ryder, who has continuously worked with the company for over a decade. Heath Slater, who's worked for the company uh, for 16 years. Um, you know, you have people like uh, Carl Anderson and Luke Gallows, who were just a part of one of the most talked about WWE matches of the year. Um, and, you know, one of whom moved from Japan in order to work for the company. Um, like, these are like brutal, brutal, brutal cuts um, that like, I think, had they happened a year or two ago, like, this is a different environment where like, I feel like wrestling fans have a lot more empathy for wrestlers than they used to um because you know the the tradition in wrestling in, in wwe at least for a long time was that layoffs happened after wrestlemania so this is not like theoretically a new situation like there's always like black monday or black tuesday or black wednesday like whatever day of the week it is that they announce which like five or ten people they let go of but like in this instance you're talking about a company that was just deemed as essential, um, who like various government officials have claimed are taking care of their employees, like their family, um, releasing people at the height of an epidemic where there is no hope whatsoever of them finding jobs, bookings, et cetera, et cetera, um, you know, for the foreseeable future. Um, and they're, they're doing it like hours after a press release that stated that they had, you know, half a billion dollars um, of capital, both in money that the company has and in like debt, like possibility to carry debt, uh, like two hours before they start cutting people who honestly aren't making that much money to begin with. Like they're, they're either people who are already off TV or they're people who are just making their downside guarantee. Like, there was no reason for them to do it. Um, and like I, people are correctly upset about this. Myself. Included. Uh, yeah. I, and I'm in that boat as well. Um, 
obviously. I think, like, I completely agree with you in that, like, the messaging and, and the timing of everything has been very, very chaotic, I would say. Um, because, like you said, like, so many people have pointed to WWE as, as this... Um, the WWE itself, whenever they announced that they were going to be doing live broadcasts again, which is a terrible idea in and of itself, um, said that they were like ingrained in, well, I can't remember the exact phrasing, but they really, like, basically they were considered themselves Americana. They were ingrained in, in the identity of In the Americana. fabric of American society. There we go. Yeah. yeah. So like th- this company that like wants to position itself as this like forward facing thing that is representative of the country and the spirit of the country. And it's there to lift the spirits of everybody as we're stuck in our houses, you know, like they just turn right around and um, pull something like this, that honestly is just, if, if people weren't already um, disenfranchised with this company and specifically Vince McMahon as a figure, I cannot imagine them like not being after the events of the past 24 hours. Yeah. And I mean, like there's, there's, you know, two things is that like, you know, the, the WWE is the, the whole idea of, of WWE as being part of American culture is something that the company has leaned on a lot of times, like most significantly um, probably when they were the, the first live entertainment venture to go on, uh, after 9-11 but like really WWE being a part of the fabric of American culture has a lot of different undertones when you consider like the the ruthlessness uh, with which they pursue their their corporatization of the art form that they present um, up to and including what they're doing now like what's the difference between WWE and any other giant corporation in America that laid off or furloughed a ton of employees due to the coronavirus. Um, there's, yeah. there's not much of one. Um, but yeah, I like, it's just, it's again, like it's one of those things where um, the perception of WWE uh, is, is one where like they care. Well, the perception of the company has never been one where they care about their employees or whatever. They don't even consider the people who make the money for them employees um but you know this this idea that if this company gets to run they will take care of their employees is one that was said uh or at least you know vaguely referenced to um and was broken almost immediately and there couldn't be like a worse time for this to be happening for the company's pr um in my article i i mentioned the uh controversy about them running um their second card in Saudi Arabia after uh, the assassination of a journalist um, and how like national attention was brought to bear on the company to the point that like congressmen were asking them to reconsider their decision to going. And it didn't matter because they had money to make and their decision to do it wasn't, you know, quote unquote political, according to them. Um, there's little difference between, I mean, there's a difference, but there's, you know, it's the same company that did that, uh, making the decision to run shows during a pandemic, um, and to be very hush hush about things like, you know, uh, employees coming down with, you know, 
unspecified illnesses or or like actually coronavirus um the way that they handled the roman Reigns situation was was terrible and the way that they're handling this is terrible and it's it's coming at a time where um you have a documentary series uh you know alleging that they uh covered up uh the murder of jimmy snooker's girlfriend in the 80s um you have this happening uh at the same time conveniently enough when uh the former ceo of the company slash wife of the chairman of the company uh is using her position as the head of a super PAC to pledge 18.5 million dollars to uh advertising in the state of florida um like it's just all of these like big confluences of things that probably would go under the radar if it weren't for the fact that WWE is loudly and proudly the only company running live entertainment right now. Uh, This is like, as it escalates, I feel like it's going to be one of the most significant public relations nightmares uh, in, in company history. And that covers uh, a shameful amount of ground. Yes, it definitely does. Um, there's so many. It's amazing just to know to see where WWE is in terms of their public stage right now, considering the checkered past that the company has had to wade through, um, and and somehow has come out fairly unscathed from a lot of those things. And it's 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 a real bother, honestly. I want to go back to you brought up the the thing the the issues with with Linda McMahon and and the state of Florida GOP because that does raise some um, questions about some of how the uh, the company was deemed essential by the governor's office. Um, there's been some reporting from uh, Spectrum News 13 down in the uh, Orange County area in Florida that at multiple times in March and April, uh, Orange County Sheriff's Department was dispatched to the Performance Center to basically tell the WWE that they were in violation of Florida's stay-at-home order by running events. This was, I think this was at the time when they were still recording events. And, right. And they basically defied that order. And then within a few days was whenever uh, finally you had DeSantis's office come out and say that they were an essential business. And, of course, that coincided right in the same – like within 24 hours, I want to say, of the, the donation from America, uh, America First Action, the super PAC headed up by Linda McMahon. Um, how do you feel that that process – like? appears to the, to the public eye. Like, how do you, how do you feel knowing that there's all these different things that, that you can apparently connect the dots to, but the dots haven't been fully connected yet. And there's definitely something more to this story. Yeah. Um, I mean, for, first off, like not to, not to correct you or anything, cause I, I may have the details wrong, but, um, the American first super PAC, um, I don't think that they donated the money to the state of Florida. I think that they were just pledging to spend that much money yeah. um, on campaign advertisements. Yes, yes, that's um, what it was. Donald Trump. Yeah, yeah, sorry, I just misspoke there. <laughs> that's okay. Um, yeah. I just, I just wanted to make sure that that was, that was like, it's not even anything as as altruistic as a donation. It's <laughs> like, uh, it's worse. It's yes. advertising on behalf of the president of the United States. Yeah. Um, so like the thing the thing about you know connecting the dots is that this is 
uh, how wrestling works, right? Like it's, it's a, it's an industry that has benefited from the general lack of attention that is paid to it by mainstream media. Um, and it's successfully, uh, managed to frame the majority of wrestling journalists, uh, from Dave Meltzer forward, uh, as, you know, uninformed or, you know, uh, not real journalists or anything like that. So like what you're, what you're left with is a, a breadcrumb trail of, uh, you know, clues essentially. (laughs) And everyone who likes wrestling ends up being like a, a amateur private detective. Um, and that's, you know, that's some of the work that I had to do in putting together this article, especially because I wanted to, you know, tie it to um, their response to Saudi Arabia. Because if, if you look at it one way, you know, it is a, right now, what you can say is that it's a coincidence that uh, Linda McMahon's super PAC uh, is devoting so much money to Florida uh, and agreed to do so, um, you know, days before the WWE was deemed an essential business. You can also say that it's a coincidence that Linda McMahon was the head of the Small Business Association in 2018 uh, when Donald Trump released his statement stating that he believed Saudi Arabia um, so far as their version of events with the assassination uh, was concerned, um, which essentially like when the president says that something's okay, you can, you can go scot-free, um, and do whatever the hell you were planning on doing, which for WWE, that was cashing in on part of their 10 year contract with the country that they were asked not to go to. Um, so when you have these small coincidences laying around that add up to a big story, like, a company deciding to run an event uh, in a country that they're asked not to, or um, a company being deemed essential uh, during, you know, a pandemic where non-essential services have been shut down and where it's already been an issue where they, the, the police have shown up and asked them to stop doing what they're doing. Um, you know, like it's, it's hard not to make those connections both as a fan and, um, as someone who is like ostensibly um, a, a reporter in the field. Um, and, you know, there's the, the issue that we're facing moving forward is, is largely one of access because now you're in a situation where um, wrestling journalists uh, largely rely on, you know, internal sources for their news um, in a company that already has kind of threatened people with being fired if they leak spoilers, uh, where they are currently firing long tenured wrestlers, um, just seemingly for no reason, um, outside of quote unquote, tightening the belt. Um, you know, the, the information that's going to be coming out about this is going to be scarce and we may not know the full story for years to come, just like, uh, you know, just as an example, like the Jimmy Snuka, um, Jimmy Snuka's alleged murder of his girlfriend in the eighties. Um, and that like, that sucks. Uh, like just bluntly, like that sucks. It sucks not knowing. Um, and like it, it has to fill 
not only fans, but like wrestlers and employees with anxiety. Like it wasn't just wrestlers who were laid off today. Um, and like, it, it seems like producers were largely furloughed, but you know, Lance Storm uh, tweeted uh, about how he was let go and he was only just recently rehired at WWE. Um, and I, I forget her name, unfortunately, but the writer who um, was responsible for the uh, Otis and Mandy storyline was fired today. Um, it's the kind of situation where like when everybody is terrified about, you know, the status of their job, uh nobody is going to be talking about this like for a while outside of the people who've been released and are, you know, either thanking the fans or WWE for their time. Yeah. And, and the writer you mentioned, uh, her name was, is uh, Andrea Lissenberger, um, mm-hmm. who was uh, responsible for the Otis Mandy Rose storyline. Um, no, it's, it's definitely a, a cause for, for anxiety company wide. And um, I'd say definitely a cause for frustration. And I'm sure I'm even with the loss of the, of internal sources or the the increased threat of uh, people speaking out um, within the company now as people are losing their jobs for real. Um, I don't know. I feel like we're there, there'll be more of this story to tell as we go forward. I just. I don't know. It's oh, it'll at be least the now, story about this company oh, yeah. for a long time. Definitely, definitely. Um, uh, last question for you here before we um before we wrap this up. Um, obviously, this isn't the only thing that has put Vince McMahon's name into the news recently. We also had the uh, the shuttering of the XFL, uh, filing for Chapter Eleven bankruptcy, uh, last week after suspending this, this operations for the season, and mm-hmm. um. And a lot of criticism has come Vince McMahon's way for filing bankruptcy whenever he had so much money earmarked for basically bankrolling that company with outstanding debts to like stadiums and and athletic commissions and and a bunch of other places that are now going to have to be listed as creditors as the XFL tries to find a buyer in bankruptcy, um, which they're not going to find. No, no, they are very very unlikely that that happens. Um, do you see this like knowing that is this more of a WWE problem or is this a Vince McMahon problem? Um well considering that WWE apparently owned a portion of the XFL despite, you know, them saying that that wasn't going to be the case, um you could say that it's a WWE problem, but I think that any WWE problem that comes up is ultimately a Vince McMahon problem. Mm-hmm. Um you know, and I don't I don't follow uh, football. I definitely didn't follow the XFL, so I don't. I don't know how things were, you know, quote unquote, going. But um, it it is one of those things where um, after what a year and a half, two years of hype, a Super Bowl commercial, uh, successful debut broadcast, and like a brand of football that people seem to be legitimately getting behind. Uh, that that would hit the the chopping block so quickly, um, but um, as you said, like with with all of the debts hanging over its head, Chapter Eleven bankruptcy is is not not an uncommon way for businesses to go about restructuring um, or just completely disappearing. Um, I think that most people would speculate that a 
a second American Football League wasn't something that was going to last forever. Um, because I remember um, the the Football League that was around like two years ago. Um, oh, the AAF. What that one was called. The AAF, yeah. yeah. Like that one also had, you know, positive praise. Um, people, people were into it. It lasted a season. Um, but, you know, like, as you said, there was a bunch of money earmarked to it. Vince McMahon is, a, is himself an incredibly wealthy man. Um, mm. And it's, it's one of those things where, like, at least to the best of my knowledge, the XFL was a privately owned company. So they don't have the same obligations uh, that, you know, the WWE does as a publicly owned company. Um, but the problems facing WWE and the problems facing the XFL are ultimately very different. Uh, what I would say is that both of them share a common cause. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a common denominator there. I, I feel. And uh, both situations as different as they are shared, shared too many similarities that, that just yeah. make it hard to ignore in a lot of ways. Um, I mean, you're well, talking start... about people's livelihoods. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the long and short of it is, you know, at, at this, at this moment, um, thing like companies that definitely could sustain, uh, the quote unquote burden of the contracts that they willingly signed. Um, it's, you know, I, I, I don't even know. I can't even put it in the words. Um, how uh, like upsetting it is that that this is happening. Yeah, I think you aptly put it uh, earlier when you said uh, it sucks. So I think yeah. we'll just leave it at that. It sucks. <laughs> um, because this story's yes, yes, this story's going to keep developing. on developing. Yeah, yeah, and we'll, you know, I know you'll be over there covering it at FanFight. We'll be covering it here at Outsports as we keep going along. Um, but I appreciate you taking the time out to, to, to chat about the recent developments here on the show and let everybody know where they can find you online. Uh, well, you can find me at, um, FanFight, which is at fanbytebyte.com slash wrestling. Uh, I am also available on Twitter at Colette Aaron, C-O-L-E-T-T-E-A-R-R-A-N-D. Awesome. Thank you, Colette. Thank you. Welcome back, guys, gals, and non-binary pals. Oh, Jesus. This episode of LGBT in the Ring is very, 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 very special to me because um, this is just going to be me indulging personally and having two of my favorite people in the world that I've been friends with for, fuck, over a decade now at this point. Almost half my life. Um, Yeah, we're almost to the half of life point, I believe. Jesus Christ. Fucking Phil we <laughs> But I have um, my two friends who uh, were co-hosts along with me for a show back when we were in college and a little bit after college as well um, <laughs> called, I think it was KSU Overnight. And then that morphed a few years later into Open Till Midnight. And Open Till Midnight was one of the formidable experiences for myself when it came to entering this journalistic sphere. Um, I 
cannot say this enough. I am so happy to have my friend uh, and co-writer of Heading South for Winter, <laughs> Hollis Adler, <laughs> on here. Pleasure to be here. Yes, as well as my very close personal friend. Um, she sings the theme song to this show with her band Sarah in the Safe Word, Formula 666. Wild. Yes. Um, also, she works for the Atlanta NPR affiliate, Sarah Rose. Welcome to <laughs> God, this is so great. This is like, I think this is the, like, we were talking before we started recording. I think this is the first time that we've been, like, together on a recording in almost three years. Almost three years, yeah. Yeah, because, like, OT, I think Open Till Midnight ended in, like, the summer of 2017, and it kind of ended <laughs> fairly abruptly. <laughs> but, yeah. But no, it was that was a that was a fun time. Um, obviously, we'll we'll talk a little bit of wrestling here as well because I know that both of you have uh, stakes in the wrestling fandom, um, and this is a wrestling show. But before that, I just want to catch up with y'all. Like, how have y'all been handling everything? Have y'all been living pre and post uh, coronavirus at this point? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, journalists are like in a weird position right now, right? Because yeah, uh, like I think doctors like have it a lot worse than we do, but like journalists are in this weird position where like I feel like we've forgotten what what time is at this point, and we just kind of exist as the news comes in. But uh, I'm I'm very underslept, and um, I'm very used to microwave meals at this point. So it's good stuff, good times. <laughs> Sounds like it. What about you, Hollis? I, um, uh, you know, I fancy myself a creative type, but I make my my bread and butter at a, an essential retailer. Uh, I work as uh, I work as basically like second line of of customer service defense. Um, and it's uh, it's a hellscape right now. Um, we are like we 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 are we are open to the public. And uh, I'm in uh, I'm in one of the areas that is has been more heavily affected uh, by the by the outbreak. Um, it, it we, we we've seen we're we our numbers like the, like the the like our business is through the roof. But it's we we have so many people coming in who are just bored. Like they don't need the essential shit. They just need to. They want to be somewhere. They want to be somewhere other than their houses or even worse. They, they want to pick up things to do non-essential shit around their houses. And, you know, we, we've lost so many employees to that have to, that, that are immunocompromised, that are older, that have, that, that are in different high risk categories. We, we can't refill them because who the hell's, I mean, a, a lot of people are looking for jobs right now, but it's not like, a lot of HR departments are firing on all cylinders right now, either. So, I mean, our on on staff are running on fumes, on on material, like on stuff that comes in on the truck. A lot of it's been cut to the bone. Um, a lot of manufacturers, they're making, you know, they're they're gearing up to make like the most basic or you know most primitive, most essential versions of their products. But they 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 can't. A lot of them just can't meet demands. They can't because a lot of them have also lost a lot of their front end workers, and nobody nobody seems to want to understand that. Nobody seems to nobody seems to be taking the. Everyone seems to have a a varying level of incredulity 
towards the safety precautions put forward by, you know, those those brain dead idiots at the World Health Organization and CDC. You know, oh, those yes. morons who don't know the what they're worst. talking about. Yeah, yeah. They, they don't know at all what they're talking about. Nope. That's why we it's, need to defund them. Yeah. Oh God Almighty. <laughs> <laughs> The, uh, it's it's uh, like let me tell you as uh, as somebody who works with a lot of you know I thankfully am I mean I'm right down there in the trenches I'm you know hopefully six feet away from every customer I get called in to help you know assist with or deal with but a lot of frontliners a lot of these people they're kids like they're 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 after they're during college or after school job has turned into you know, basic training for, you know, the dystopian army and they're getting the shit kicked out of them. Mm. And we've got people complaining while at the same time I'm, I'm talking, I, in the past month, I have assisted at least three coworkers in just working through panic attacks because that's that's where we're at. I'm not surprised. Yeah, I'm I'm not surprised at all. I mean, I feel like I've seen so many coworkers of mine like have panic attacks or breakdowns. You know, it's just I think it's like this is so unprecedented, and I don't think any generation alive right now has really lived through something like this. So we're all kind of flying without a handbook right now. Yeah, I mean, both of y'all are, I think are much more on the front lines of this, and as opposed to me, like covering wrestling and sports and and games and stuff. Like you're not necessarily like on covering the day-to-day news cycle like you sarah or like seeing things right up front whenever you go into your job hollis um so i think it's important to like hear how this stuff is, is going down like especially for people that that don't see it face to face like like myself at this point like i'm in the same boat i think as you sarah i've been locked down in my apartment i haven't i've only gone out to like once or twice to go to a grocery store or to pick up medicine you know, Hollis, it sounds like you're much more like boots on the ground because of your job. Like, how are y'all like handling, like trying to keep your your spirits up, just given your situations? For Ooh, a lot um, of, oh yeah, please, Sarah, go first. No, no, I was just saying, like, it's kind of weird for me because I, you know, I, you mentioned I play in a band. Yes. And so my, my normal go-to for like kind of keeping myself centered is is always been to play music and. Actually, we were supposed to be on tour uh, the first week of April, um, and obviously we couldn't do that. So I, I've kind of been relearning like what a new center is for me, like as far as trying to keep my mind off work. And I've been <laughs> taking up a lot of new hobbies. Like um, I've I've been cooking a lot more lately, and trying to be more focused on my health and stuff, and trying to work out more and. Uh, eat healthier and and drink a lot more water so i think that's kind of like been my focus you know and trying to keep me centered but mm-hmm. it's just different you know? what about you hollis i you know i i really honestly uh yeah I, I was again i'm not trying to you know uh uh i i, I don't need anyone uh looking up and and letting uh some uh some people I work with know about my feedback, but it's, it's really, it's a lot of it's going to just keeping my coworkers in one piece. I, um, there were, there was more than one 30 hour work weekend and, in, in, in the past month for a lot of people that I know, I, I, ha- I've had, I have coworkers who are averaging around 
68 to 75 hours per pay period. That's a week. Um, that's what me personally, like just, and being able to just like sit and shoot, like just shoot the shit with them about, you know, and just, you know, figuring out like, what are you into? Are you into video games? Are you into sports? I can bullshit about you with anything. Like, what do you want to talk about? What do you want to, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. me personally, I've been, I've been getting a lot of, when I've been awake, <laughs> like when I when I haven't been too strung out, been getting a lot of mileage out of media. Um, a lot of creatives right now are out there just saying, "Hey, we're making this. Come, like, look, we're bored. We're in the house. We're we're making this." Or like, "Hey, I I made this. It's rough draft. I probably wasn't going to publish it. Yeah, I've I've thrown it up onto Wattpad or whatever. Please go read it. Enjoy it." Um, and not only is that is it heartwarming to see creatives just like here, please have something that doesn't suck right now. But it also, it's it's a great way to just, you know, take your mind off shit. Or it's just like, you know, I could think about the the ten to ten to thirteen hour workday I have ahead of me, or I could read somebody's Scooby Doo alternate universe college age, you know, romance fan fiction. I could I could do I that, that instead. <laughs> that. That's, that's what I want. So. Yeah, 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 that's you know, I want to I want to read about you know Velma trying to figure out how she can date both Shaggy and Daphne at the same time. Like, <laughs> I hear there's a way. There's yeah, there's there's <laughs> you know there's there's light at the end of that tunnel, Velma. You know, you stick to your guns. You know, believe in your dreams. The process of this. Yeah, they'll figure it out. Yeah, it's gonna be great. Yeah. Yes. See, totally. It's, it's it's just, but it does. Like I, you know, uh, I know both of y'all are in the content creation business, and let me tell y'all, as as somebody who has spent the last two months being way too tired to do shit, it matters. Like what y'all are doing right now, it it really does help out. Being able to to have another podcast or audio book or radio show, something to throw on you know, to listen to while I'm trying to get through the day, it can make all the fucking difference right now. It really can. Yeah. And that's one reason why, another reason why I wanted to highlight at least one thing that you've done, Sarah, I know you and the band kind of got together and, and did a, a cover of uh, fountains of Wayne's Mexican wine uh, recently that y'all put up on, yeah. on your Facebook page. And I just had to say like watching that was, um, it was a gut punch just because of the circumstances of why that was put out, but it was a, um, it was awesome. Like I, I thoroughly enjoyed watching that video. Yeah, I, we we had a blast doing it. It was weird to do because you know we we recorded each of our parts at our own houses and stuff. We we weren't actually together. I haven't seen the band now in probably about a month and a half. Mm. So I, I think it was good for us because it kind of like scratched an itch for us a little bit because we were all missing playing music together. But it was kind of a weird experiment and like doing things long distance. But I think it came out pretty well. We were we were happy with it. Yeah, no, I completely dug it, and um, I was wondering yeah, I, what, what went into. The, oh, sorry, Hollis, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I, I just wanted to say, absolutely, I loved it. I I teared up. It's one of my. It's one of my favorite songs from that band. Um, you know, I I got. I'm not gonna lie, I got a little misty. Uh, yeah. uh, I, I did not. I not. I laughed. I more than twice at Keenan's antics. Same. <laughs> Same. Yes. Same. Deadpan antics are like the best part of that whole video, you know. <laughs> just, just like I love, it. like he he's somehow able to like to look like he's playing a guitar masterfully 
while also like impatiently pacing back and forth waiting for a subway train to arrive. It's it, yeah. it is a it is a skill. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's yeah. I'm curious what what made y'all choose Mexican wine as the song to do? Well, it, it was hard, you know, because I think a lot of people don't know that Adam Schlesinger was a brilliant songwriter. I mean, if if you just know him from Stacy's Mom, which is a hilarious song in the video is funny too. Um, but he, he did so much music and won so many awards uh, after that song came out. And he did the music for That Thing You Do, um, just a, a ton of, of songs. So we were sort of trying to figure out a song that wasn't Stacy's mom um, that kind of captured his songwriting. And we thought that we thought Mexican wine was just such a good summary of like the weird humor that Fountains of Wayne had and also was kind of a really good example of how awesome his songwriting was for like music nerds there's three key changes in that song and i don't think a lot of people hear it when they listen to it but the the composition in that song is unreal like it's it's masterfully done and so we were just a fan of that and we thought that was a a cool song to do it always mexican wine uh is my favorite fountains of wayne song and it always reminded me in a in a way of they might be giants where they so much of their talent i'm not a i'm not a big music guy i know what i like you know and i could talk a little bit about music not you know i'm 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 not a musical guy i'm not musically inclined typically i just like the stuff but fountain uh, the mexican wine always reminded me of the better they might be giant song because of how much care and talent and attention goes into sounding totally casual um yeah like uh, mexican wine you could you could hum that song all day it's a really breezy accessible song but when you get into the nuts and bolts of it there's a lot going on both musically and lyrically that i really dig yeah i mean the lyrics in that are probably some of my favorite of that band they're just so witty and dry and dark and you you have to really think about them when you when you sing them um he was a master at that i mean he was such a great songwriter and so sarcastic and so biting with the way he wrote songs i mean it i i think years from now people are going to see that he really had an influence on so many other musical artists um of his time you know yeah i i, I again i can only come back to they might be giants when i uh this might sound like a ridiculous phrase, but there's some, there is a bittersweet hilarity to Mexican wine. Um, you you don't, you don't get in a lot of, of super accessible music. Yeah. I mean, I'll be frank. Like I don't, I'm not as familiar with, um, with his discography or or fountains of Wayne's discography. So as, as much as y'all are. And, um, but even then, like I, I got that vibe immediately from from hearing that song. I went back and listened to the original song after the cover, and and yeah, like the the cover encaptures that very very well. And I don't know that song. It it gave me like a tinge of like thinking back to like my early twenties and like this like time of where like I was like super obsessed with like unrequited love and like self destruction in a lot of ways. And, yeah. Um, and like it really like brought me back to like that era of when I was just really sunk in that and and I don't know like it's it's a 
obviously like there's good and bad to different parts of your life and, and how music and, and, and media in general can really bring you back to those moments. But sometimes it's good to kind of sit in that and just kind of feel, feel those feelings again. For sure. It, it reminded me of I, one of the first CDs that I really went out and bought was the Fountains of Wayne CD. And I bought it because I, I like Stacy's mom and heard it on the radio, but uh, that's the first song on that album. And it kind of caught me by surprise. And it became like one of my favorite records when I was that age. Like I listened to that album front to back constantly. They were a great band. You know, I, I have, um, yeah, I bought uh, Welcome Interstate Managers. Um, you know, when I started uh, driving, I had an ancient um, six di- six disc changer that I had inherited from uh, an, uh, my my uncle's like beaded up, rusted out Civic that he had put a more of a sound system in than like an engine. And uh, Welcome Interstate Managers was was one of those I remember popping in. And you don't you don't skip a track like it's you don't it's, no. it's perfect it's a perfect album. Um, Hey Julie stands out to me a lot as well. Um, just as this kind of it's a it's a it's a perfect song about someone who has a shitty life except for like one thing, and uh, that's that's kind of amazing. The um I I'm actually like thinking back to fountains and Wayne and like where they were in my rotations between, you know, between bouts of like bad out of hell too. And like whatever iron maiden I could get my hands on. I remember, I remember them reminding me a lot of uh semi, uh, semi-sonic as well. Semi-sonic. Yeah. yeah. I thought that's another great, great band from that era. There yeah, was definitely. the, like the post alt, late 90s early aughts uh like wave of like adult contemporary rock had a lot of great weirdos in it like fountains of wayne semi-sonic come to mind um uh google dolls or... oh yeah basketball yeah. harvey danger harvey danger yeah. oh yeah harvey danger yeah the um but they and they all kind of had that that weird English major hopped up on fucking like Robitussin <laughs> weirdness to yeah, the lyrics. We had, like a good, we had a good five years of like weird dudes with like too much cough medicine singing about their feelings in music. Like that was a, <laughs> a good yeah. Well, I'm yeah. I'm God, so glad that we still have that era to go back to when we need. Oh it. yeah. Uh, I I would count I would count Third Eye Blind in that number. Um, say what you want about their later stuff, but that self-titled album is still good. Oh yeah, I still throw that it's, on. Yeah, no, it's a great album. Yeah. Lord. Well, since we're waxing poetic a little bit about the the past here, I'm curious. Um, before we get into wrestling talk, yeah. obviously we all met each other in college radio for the most part. Yeah. I know that's where I met y'all yeah. at least. I don't know where, where you yeah. two met, but um, we all started at Kennesaw state <laughs> university, KSU Owl radio, home of the worlds. Worlds. And um, <laughs> I'm curious. Like, <laughs> sorry. I'm curious. Like what, what are um, 
I, I kind of want to like go back to that era for a second there. Like, what were some of your favorite memories from that time with with KSUL Radio before we ended up taking OTM into our own uh, living room, so to speak? You know, I, I I ended up working for Our Radio. Sort of, I'd, I'd been trying to get my foot in the door at the campus radio station for like a year, and I finally like snuck in on election night, twenty twelve. Um, and like, <laughs> I remember just like sitting around and like pretending like I knew what I was talking about, and, like doing election night commentary and things like that. And then I think I convinced mm-hmm. someone that night to like let me have a show at like 10 p.m. on Monday when we thought no one was gonna listen. And um, I don't know. I mean, that was my favorite memory of high school of uh, of college was was doing stuff at the radio station. I felt like. I mean, people who are listening don't know this, but we had, like, the weirdest show. They gave us a show oh, at yeah. 10 p.m. on Monday night. Um, I think they gave us that time slot because they thought that no one was going to listen at 10 p.m. And, I mean, it just felt like we, we had such a medium to do a bunch of dumb, stupid, creative shit, you know, on the radio um, with no rules. And it was kind of the first time I, I was given the license to do something like that. You know, it was kind of like... We we all were so strange and weird and creative in our own ways, and it all came together, and it was just this weird anarchic thing that we made. Yeah, yeah, I, no, uh, I, definitely. I remember. <laughs> Go ahead. I remember. I remember shampoo hand. Oh God, shampoo hand! I knew that I was gonna fucking come hand. up. Yeah, um, I guess for, for people who don't know what Shampoo Hand is, we got sponsored. <laughs> Our <laughs> by Axe Shampoo. Um, and so they sent us like four boxes, like four big boxes of like those little travel size um, Axe Shampoo bottles. It's not and, even that, uh, it was the ones that had the beads in it. Oh, yeah, no. So it was yeah. so grinding, um, so, it was so granular. <laughs> So Hollis, in his infinite wisdom, uh, decides that he's going to cover his hand in shampoo and smack people with it. <laughs> and then at some point, like, even though I didn't consent to it, uh, you were like, if enough people call in, we'll shampoo Sarah's hair. Um, and so that happened. <laughs> yeah. I remember that night vividly. There was no shower or anything, so it was just me with a head full of shampoo for yeah. an hour in a radio station. Um, it was very expensive equipment, by the way. Like, it's a miracle we didn't get chewed out for doing this. Um, no, I know, especially compared to what we did get chewed out for. Yeah, yeah, like, and it wasn't just, like, one bottle of shampoo. Hollis shampooed my head with, like, 50 travel-sized bottles of Axe shampoo. <laughs> I was washing out like boy scented shampoo beads for <laughs> I remember that night because I ended up getting shampooed as well and I still had to host my show afterwards. So I was like literally like trying to get the stuff out of my hair and it was running down into I was getting the beads in my eyes outside in the in like the courtyard outside the student center. And I was just like blinded, and I missed like the first fifteen minutes of my show because I couldn't see. <laughs> How's the shampoo and everybody? Yeah, you're all welcome. I'm sorry I care about cleanliness. <laughs> I have no news about shampoo hands, so so yeah. thank you. 
Yes. <laughs> God. One, one day you're walking to your car and you just you you smell beads. You smell beads <laughs> somewhere in the darkness. Yeah. Yeah. God. That is definitely I, one of those nights that sticks out in my head. Um, Hollis, we, I'm sorry, what were you about to say? No, it's just we, yeah, we we were basically, they gave us the dump the garbage slot. Um, I think just assuming that we'd get bored eventually with no feedback, but I, I do remember distinctly, I, I want to say like our fifth show, we had... Like we had basically we had planned on doing our normal show, and uh, the guy who followed us up, Mr. Jasmine, um, he wasn't coming in that night, so we we're just like, okay, we'll we'll stay on, whatever. And we were trying to figure out what to do, like with our extra radio time. And finally, yeah. I th- I think it might have been Wonder Boy who was like, "You just want to say words that sound dirty but aren't," and. <laughs> We were just like, yes, yes, we're absolutely going to. So I just remember like speeding to one of the terminals and typing into Google words that sound dirty but aren't. And just like we spent like uh, like I, I, something like a 17 minute musical break just compiling a list between the three of us of words we were allowed to say on the radio but sounded like we shouldn't be able to say on the radio. <laughs> I think the one that stuck out in my mind was dongle. That was one dongle. of my favorite ones. We we said dongle a lot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think I I said fuck like more on the show than anyone else did. I got written up so many times for swearing on the show. I was terrible at it. Yeah, back when we had to control what we said. Yeah. Yeah. Lord. Now we can I just... say fuck dongle as much as we please. Yes, you can. Yeah. <laughs> I just remember like my I'll tell you about like my experience, like going into our radio. Like, you, like Sarah, you said you were talking about like trying to get in for like a year. I literally just went because I had it suggested to me as a good way of like meeting people because I had just moved to the area and I had knew no one. So I went in there for like the first meeting, like that introductory meeting for the semester or whatever, and like ended up talking myself into like a a midnight slot for a sports talk show. And it was directly after your show. And somehow through osmosis, I got pulled into your show just because I was in the studio early for, yeah, for my show. Like for a while, I remember you were just hanging out in like the back room and we started talking and I was like, you should just come on the show. Like you should just start hanging out with us. And so, yeah, you kind of got like osmosis into, <laughs> into our show. Yeah, so like literally, you two were like the first friends that I made at Kennesaw. So oh, like that 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 runs really really deep. There's a reason why like I think we've been stuck together for as long as we have, at least in my mind. Like for sure, yeah. There's, there's stuff that I remember too. Like I, we're all big Star Wars fans, and oh, one of yeah. my favorite movies was, you know, just the, I mean, you can say whatever you want to now about the the sequel movies, but I remember the lead up to the Force Awakens. All of us were so stoked every time something would come out for the movies, and we would we would talk about it on the radio there and, and watch the trailers and like the back room and everything. And that was just that's such a good memory for me. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. The uh, and and admittedly, I'm one of those people who 
likes the last Jedi and apparently that's a that's a hot take um but I remember I like I remember when the Force Awakens was announced um we actually we were going to have a show that week but uh Sarah messaged me we happened to be on the same in like on the same side of town and yep we spent hours like trying yeah. to like look out between the two of us at a Starbucks, like what it could be, like what they yeah. want to do. It's one of my favorite memories. I got the breaking news alert on my phone and like I immediately called Hollis and was like, We have to talk about this today. <laughs> yeah. The we I remember presenting our quote unquote findings on the on the on the radio. Like <laughs> I there one of the one especially after we started getting much more comfortable um, I remember the week of, I want to say it was like 2015 E3, where like our show just happened to like bump up after like the biggest night of E3. So we were just pulling video game news off the wire. And it was like, it, 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 it's, it's weird to say, but like, we, it felt like we were learning how to journalism on almost like almost on accident. By like by just trying to follow the nerd shit we cared about, where it was like, oh hey, the you know the the guy who did Castlevania is announcing he's going to do like a fan Castlevania, like oh yeah, but I don't have I don't have like I don't have a, a third party confirming that information, so you know I don't want to, you know, I don't know if we can run with it, like oh no, here's a post from the guy who's going to do it, like okay, all right, we we verified that, like <laughs> like I I feel like we we were showing due diligence on accident. <laughs> I mean, we definitely cut our teeth in, in in that arena. There, I would say, both on the uh, the journalistic side and on the surreal side. Um, I remember one of my one of my fondest memories is um, there was a lot of music related stuff that we did on the show. Um, two of my favorites would be whenever we had the chance to spend a good eighteen minutes dissecting uh, the insane clown posse's. Uh, uh, what was the name? Miracles. Miracles? Yes. Miracles. We dissected that song lyric by lyric for who knows why. <laughs> and and then uh, for some reason, like you, y'all, I know why, but y'all just constantly uh, torturing me with Kesha throughout <laughs> like the years that we had the show running. <laughs> I have since come around. I will say that much. I have since come around on Kesha, but at the time, that was, was like kryptonite to, to my ears. <laughs> I was about to say, I hope you're somewhere praying, Brian. I hope you're God. somewhere praying. I actually like that song a lot. <laughs> that, is not a, that is not. That is one of the best "fuck you" songs I've ever heard in my life. Yes. God. The, um, I remember. I remember the last show we did on the radio. Uh, we did like a something like a twelve-person rendition of Rebecca Black's Friday. Oh yeah, I remember that. um, like we were pulling in people who were just passing by (laughs) i think at one point didn't we have like the pizza guy who delivered our like dinner to us on the show yeah yeah we did he uh he was he was pretty cool dude (laughs) (laughs) but it's just uh it like we uh i we I don't know if we got away with shit or if they just 
because we were on like one of the deadest time slots. They didn't give a shit, but it didn't stay one of the deadest time slots for long. No. I mean, I, I don't think that they ever, ever expected we were going to do anything with that 10 p.m. time slot, you know? Yeah. And then we t- end up turning it into like what the most, was it the most popular show on the, the most, on the station? Consistently listened to show on the station. Yeah. <laughs> just like the, the dumbest thing that just concocted by like our minds just for some reason was that entertaining. It was, honestly, I'll be frank, I was shocked when I learned that. And I'm like, we're just being stupid. Yeah, I know, and, and <laughs> I mean, like that's when people started to listen. <laughs> like when our when our supervisors were like, "Oh, we should make sure they're not like breaking stuff." So, <laughs> God. Yeah, it does it does feel like we ended up we ended up getting the majority of our feedback because we would try to plan and we would try to figure out how long, like you know, we should take on different segments and stuff like that. But it feels like the shit that people keep reminding me of, or I'll just, I'll still get face message, uh, Facebook messages about them, are, is the shit we just, we're like, uh, we'll wing it, whatever. Like, like we, we actually, like we thought we had more material, but it turns out we have like a dead half hour, which is like, here, here, here are the movies from the 80s that are the most stupid. Like... (laughs) (laughs) We were, we were excellent at milking for time. Like we're 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 champions at that. Yeah. Oh yeah. The, <laughs> like, um, which horror movie did... is the most linear quickly? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. The um. By the way, the movie horror movie that has the most linear quickly is clearly uh, Hollywood Chainsaw Hookers. Or yeah, sorority made fair. in the slime ball bowl, uh, slime ball bolorama. <laughs> um. <laughs> but yeah, it's. I like, and they would. The one, one of the things that stands out to me distinctly was when they tried to like put us at like school events, and they learned very quickly oh, God. they didn't really trust us to do that. Yeah, I remember how you got permanently banned from being on a microphone for any out radio event ever, um, <laughs> because it was the. So for people who don't know, it was uh, the grand opening of the new cafeteria at Kennesaw State. And Hollis uh, was on the microphone and said, uh, come on down. We have great food here. We're not making any dildos. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and no and one took the mic from him at that point. He kept going. No, you, you had like a five-minute long monologue about the difference between cafeteria food and dildos. And it was yep. impressive as hell. <laughs> The uh, I uh, in my defense, I was very tired. <laughs> like the uh, I think I had just gotten done with I think the longest written work I had to do for college up to that point, and it was like now we're gonna go talk about a cafeteria, and I was like, cool, cool, <laughs> cool. I just remember like looking over to like the supervisor lady who like was standing off to the side and just watching her like stare at you like we have to get the microphone away from him somehow. <laughs> we have to. Uh, yeah, no such Yeah, I uh I can't believe they like they wouldn't let me back at any events, which uh, it didn't break my heart, but uh, they still let me into the radio station. Yeah, yeah I there was a lot of forgiveness there. 
<laughs> you being allowed into the radio station was an anomaly that I don't think any of us can really explain. <laughs> the uh, I just like I think it's because ninety nine percent of the staff, like that was ninety nine percent of like the adult staff didn't like me, but the one percent that did were the ones that had the keys. Yeah, like, that was oh, yeah. yeah. Shout out at Bonza. <laughs> and, and shout out at Bonza. <laughs> By the time we were doing our show at 10 p.m., it was, like, us and the janitors that were there. So, like, you were pretty safe. Yeah. God. Of course, that that actually reminds me of, like, the, probably the, the biggest controversy that we had there during the time that we had the show. Um, drink. Drink. Drink, Kate. Drink, Kate. 2K15. Jesus. So, basically, oh, what happened... Um, as as we mentioned before, we we got away with uh, massively shampooing each other in the studio around this giant equipment. But for some reason, the minute that we brought a bottle of water into the studio, that's where the line was drawn. <laughs> and we got and so, reprimanded. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, you, you tell it. It's so funny. <laughs> so we got reprimanded the next week. And the only, like, I remember the first thing that we saw that gave us any clue that we were in trouble was that um, the the manager of the station at the time, the student manager at the station at the time, I can't remember if he sent us the photo or if the photo was just up in the studio when we walked in, but it was just a photo from taken from the security camera in the, in the studio, and it was us sitting there, and on the paper it had these red squares around all of the three bottles of water that were around the, the equipment, and it just had lines drawn out to giant block letters, drink, on all three of them. <laughs> and that was like the only clue that we got until someone actually finally told us that like we were in trouble. It was like the most yeah. surreal, dumb thing to walk into the studio and see. <laughs> Yep. Never mind. We had like, I wouldn't even say like what we were talking about the week before, but like we, we were clearly like breaking a lot of rules before drink happened. Like, Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> one other thing from, from that era that I really enjoyed um, was uh, the, uh, the Tommy Westfall verse discussion. I remember distinctly after we, we took, this was, this was open till midnight era. This was, um, after we had left the radio station, but I remember whenever 10 Cloverfield Lane came out and yeah. I know Sarah, you have an obsession with Cloverfield and the ARG that goes along with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. For sure. After we went to see that movie and came back to do the show and discuss it, like we just ended up going down this giant wormhole of the Tommy Westall verse related to the ending of um, why St. Elsewhere. That's the name of the show. I was about to draw a blank on that. Um, and Hollis ended up being our tour guide through this whole giant thing where we basically determined that the entire world lives within this alternate reality. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it gets scary because, like, I've, I I was an extra on the show Gotham, and Gotham is in the Tommy Westfall verse, so technically I'm in it too because I was playing myself in it. <laughs> yeah, so, like, you, did a sh- you did a show with us, which means we're in the Tommy Westfall universe. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And now all of you listening, you're in it too. Because you're listening to us. Welcome to Twin yep. Peaks, motherfucker. <laughs> Welcome to the Red Room. 
the uh, that um, I remember we had we got a lot of feedback about that episode. We had oh, a yeah. lot of people like listening in like at the time, and yeah, I I like I I hyperfixate. There's a there's some, there's a bunch of sh- like weird shit I hyperfixate on, and the Tommy Westfall verse is kind of just like is is sort of in that sphere. Um, it like people freaking out about how because I showed you all before we started the recording. Like, look, guys, this this rabbit hole goes deep but goes people so deep. who were like at the time we had uh we had a little we had a little chat room and you know you, you like we could we could take calls if we wanted but mainly it was just like it was just chat feedback wasn't it yeah yeah for the most part and people like i remember like an hour in and we we had gotten to like bob hope and people were like how are you still going yeah <laughs> yeah God, it just kept morphing into this this like larger web. Like honestly, when we started that, I didn't think it was going to go beyond like the first two segments of the show, but it ended up being the entire thing. We actually we like went a two over. hour show. Yeah, yeah. We we went over. We I, I remember because it was like, well, it's past midnight. <laughs> we are no longer open. <laughs> yeah, yeah. God. Anyway, um, sorry, I lost there because I was just thinking about like setting up that. I don't know. There was something about like when we did take the show away from the station and and did it basically in in our living room, or well, it started off in like Sarah and I like were living together at the time, and and uh, like, we did it in like our like dining room sort of, and then we ended up doing it in, like the living room at, at another apartment. Like it was very yeah. like low rent in a lot of ways but it was very low rent. We were, i think we were still bitter at least i was about like being kicked off college radio oh so I yeah. was like we're gonna just do the show in my living room it'll be the same <laughs> i would argue it turned out better in a lot of ways for sure yeah Oh god! Yeah. Any other any other memories of of open till midnight before we move on to to the next little oh, juicy bit? What you got? Plenty, but we we don't have to rehash all of them. We'll have to we'll have to save some for the next reunion episode. Ah, um, that's a very good point. I I remember one open till midnight. I had worked a, a double and then like a double before that, so I was real out of it. And for some reason, I just got furious about was it Princess Peach? Or Samus, I was shouting about video game characters who definitely fuck. Uh, it's and, probably Princess Peach then. And uh, I think like Kirby, Kirby, oh, I, I think you were Kirby. on Kirby. Yeah. Uh, how Kirby was base is basically like a minor Eldritch god, but like he's kawaii, so it's cool. Yeah. No, for sure. The uh, like no, there's there's plenty of there's plenty of weird shit we did where everyone here is queer, everyone here yeah. has a love of pro wrestling in some shape or form, so it does tie into the yeah. basis of the show. Thumbs up. It, admittedly, <laughs> admitted, admittedly, my knowledge of wrestling ends about twenty years back, but I I am because I knew it was a a wrestling podcast. I am wearing my Dusty Road shirt right now. Fuck yes, dream all. I'm day. naked. So. 
You're all welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing it. Yeah, Sarah, you could you could show a little bit of class by just writing your favorite wrestler's name across your chest. Great, in cool, sharp, in, <laughs> in Sharpie. Just uh, you know, for God for God's sake, we're we're podcasting here. Show a right. show a little dignity. <laughs> no, I did want to like ask y'all. Like, I know that we've had like discussions about wrestling here and there. Um, obviously. Um, but I'm curious, like, where did the, uh, where did y'all first, like, come to, to pro wrestling? Like, what was your entry point and what kind of sucked you into it for the, to the extent that it has? Um, you know, I was really into it right when, like, the, the whole Wolfpack thing was going on in the WCW. Like, that mm-hmm. was kind of my entry point. Um, no one really, like, pushed me into it. I just remember, like, it was on television in the evenings. You know, I used to be really into, like, you know, Monday Nitro and would watch that all the time. And I was a huge WCW fan and thought Sting was so cool. Um, so that was kind of like my, my big entry point was just WCW. I didn't watch WWF and then E until way later. So, mm-hmm. What was it about the uh, Wolfpack that pulled you in? I just thought the, the factions were so fucking cool. Like when it, when it was the red versus the white at one point and, I, I got so into, you know, what team, like what side Sting was going to be on. And uh, yeah. I don't know. I just thought that was the coolest shit. <laughs> you and a lot of people. I, I'm with you on that. That was a very, very important part of my childhood as well. That was peak WCW. Like to me, that's like the, the peak of WCW is that. Yeah. What about you, Hollis? What what was the question? Uh, now I was just thinking about the Wolfpack. <laughs> what was like the what what kind of sucked you into pro wrestling to the extent that it has? Like, what was your entry point for it? I so I I've been I, I I'll preface this by saying I've been more or less out of wrestling for fifteen about fifteen years, maybe a little bit longer than that. Um, I you know uh, what I was into wrestling when I was a young kid. Um, I remember Dusty Rhodes, uh, Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase. Um, I I remember watching it on like the super stations. Like you know, I remember, I you know, I remember watching it around like you know Saturday morning cartoon kind of or like local UHF, you know, monster movie watching. Just like you watched it because you know there was nothing else and you didn't want to go outside yet. Um, the, um, that was in, I mean, that was the, the, the WCW era, you know, like I said, you know, Ted DiBiase, you know, Dusty Rhodes, um, the, uh, I tuned out a little bit as I went through school. Then I tuned a little bit back in, uh, a little bit earlier than, uh, the Wolfpack era, like a little, er- uh, like I remember tuning back in and around, when the NWO was forming. Hmm. Um, and that was like, there are, there are books that have been written about the WCW of the nineties. Uh, there are probably more books that have to be written, but there, I, there wasn't, there was not a better gimmick. in um, in wrestling there was not a better there wasn't a better storyline in wrestling than NWO 
like for better or for worse, there was not a bigger one. Like <laughs> that shit was world altering. Like the um that I you know I I I remember NWO shirts at like bus stops, like like yeah, school bus huge. stops. Yeah, I mean that was really yeah, the explosion of it. And yeah. like a lot of that looking back now I understand it it is weird how much Ted Turner had to say in my 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 developmental my developmental lifespan. <laughs> like, Uncle Teddy. Yeah, uh cuz Uncle Teddy was responsible for, you know, the the er, like the early WCW being as successful as it was. Um and then in the 90s of course as well, Superstations. Um I switched over a little bit to w- WWF. I never bought into as much as WCW, but they had individual wrestlers who I loved. I was never a big Taker fan. I was never a big Kane fan. Um, I dug Stone Cold. I dug The Rock. I was, I was, and still am in love with Mick Foley. Um, yes. The, yeah, Mick Foley's awesome. Yeah, Mick Foley is. Probably like if I had to pick the two greatest wrestlers of all time, it's Dusty Rhodes and Mick Foley. Like, and I everyone has their own list when it comes to that. But if Dusty Rhodes and Mick Foley aren't at least in your top ten, you got a bad list. Like, you need to go back to formula. <laughs> um, uh, it's I, um, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say like I knew having you on on the show, Mick Foley was going to come up. I'm I'm infinitely curious. Like I know we've had long discussions about Mick Foley um, throughout the years, uh, just one on one or in, in groups. But I'm curious, like, what was it about Mick that that drew you to him? The um, it's I mean honestly, I think a part of it was the same thing that drew me to Dusty Rhodes when I was like, oh man, here are these. You know, here are these dudes standing among like gods and monsters that look kind of like me. Like, you know, neither Mick Foley nor Dusty Rhodes could ever be called the sveltest men in the world. You know, not the lithest guys out there in the bunch. Um, and there was a certain amount of like showmanship. Like when I think, like you. You've got wrestlers who try to be understated or try to be cool, like those are their their gimmicks and stuff like that, or you know try to be like hardcore and like tough and scary. But like Mick Foley and Dusty Rhodes, like they their bits were just being like the most outrageous motherfuckers they could possibly be. Um, yeah. The um and that that still has appeal to me. Like the um it's. Like yeah, you can be you can be cool or like a badass or something, or you could be like insane. Like you can just be like this insane, larger than life motherfucker. Um, a lot of it with me too was that, that like even in even in WWF or WWE, um, no, it's still F at that point. I think yeah. Um, he was doing shit that just. Nobody, you didn't see unless, like, you had a cool friend who told you about this thing, ECW. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. The uh, Mick Foley was, was pushing the boundaries. I still point to the Hell in a Cell with him and Taker. Oh, um, definitely. The, uh, now, I want to preface that by saying it should never fucking be done again. Nothing like it should ever be done again. 
It should never be replicated. It should never be lauded as as a totally legit cool thing to do to your fucking employees or do for entertainment. But when those two motherfuckers drop, there is a wrestling's a show. Like wrestling is a dog and pony show. And if the dog's really good and the pony's really good, then you have a fun time. Right. But the the hell in a cell with Taker and, and Mankind for a split second to everyone in the world, it was real. It was actually real. An insane, an insane escaped, you know, maniac was an undead mountain man monstrosity. It was fucking real because there was because your brain couldn't process that 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 someone could fake a fucking 16 foot drop you know what i mean like right. like for a for a split second those those maniacs made it real and that should never be done again and that in the capacity that they did that but it took it it was a it was a unique formula it could not. I don't think it could have been any other two wrestlers, uh, and I, I do think that there's a reason that you can still say in a cell, and people know exactly what the fuck you're talking about. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Like that's a that's I, a legacy that will never leave. <laughs> oh yeah, never. And no. I that 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 story made real energy. I I tuned out. Um. I was never a big Triple H fan, and I, I tuned out uh, mid-aughts, late late to mid-aughts. Um, I remember tuning back in a little bit when CM Punk was becoming like the... Um, CM Punk definitely had that kind of story-made real energy to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember that moment really being like the first time that the three of us bonded over wrestling was the, the Pipe Bomb promo in 2011. Yeah. Because we were back in yeah. the, like, the back room of the studio during like a break on on up until midnight, and we were like just I like pulled up the video because I had heard about it because we did our shows on Monday at that point, like you said during Raw, so I didn't get to see it live, but I heard about it and I pulled it up and I showed it all I like just thinking like I'm gonna show off this dorky thing that I did at that point I don't think I had really like shown the pro wrestling side of me because like you know for the longest time like after that boom in the nineties kind of faded out, like it became another, a dorky thing to like in a lot of ways, uh, popular culture wise. So like I showed that to y'all and like, I remember that moment just realizing that like, Oh, these two like cool people that I really, really like, like are super into this thing too. And it just like spawned off into this, this discussion. I think when we got back on the air, we ended up talking about the the promo itself and just kind of like kind of figuring out where things might be going, like how real this thing was, and like it's the same way that a lot of people interpreted that that moment. I feel. Yeah, you know, I no, remember. Sure. I remember watching. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I remember watching it with you and telling you, like, it reminded me in intensity levels of the Kane Dewey promo. Mm. Um, yeah. The. Um, uh, for those, I, I know this is a wrestling podcast, but if you if you haven't watched the Kane Dewey promo in a while, do yourself do yourself a favor and watch it. It's probably 
again, you guys, you guys know who my favorites are. You know, Hard Times is probably the best promo of the '80s. Kane Duo, Kane Dewey is probably the best promo of the '90s. Hype Bomb is probably the best of the odds, even though it came a little late. It was still probably the best promo of the odds. No, I definitely agree the, with you on um, that. The um, but it's, and you have to have like with Kane Dewey and like with Hype Bomb, you have to have a very specific type of energy to sell a promo like like i said i mentioned the hard times promo and it is it's really easy to watch that and just see a fat guy with a jerry curl shouting um i i freely admit that you know what i'm talking about but like certain people are able to activate that magic and make it real and yeah like you showing me i i I had heard of CM Punk. I had never really cared until you started. You showed me that promo, and I was, and I just, I remember thinking like, "This is real." Like this, uh, this, this guy's in it to fucking win it. Hmm. Uh, it's a, it's a pivotal point for like personally and within the wrestling world. I think for a lot of people that were watching at that time, um, and it's something that a lot of people still point back to. As as the industry has moved forward, I feel. Um, I am curious though, considering that we all are queer here. Like I said before, um, hashtag our best gays. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I still that's still the desktop background on my computer. By the way, I, I'm never letting that die. Um, <laughs> um, I'm always curious to hear like where like queer people like how they see like sort of the intersection of of queerness and pro wrestling like i know in recent years we've seen a, a burgeoning lgbtq scene um within pro wrestling specifically on like the indie circuit and we've seen some major companies sign a lot of like notable queer names you know like we have you know nyla rose in AEW representing the trans community like sunny kiss um sonia deville jake atlas now uh shana baszler mercedes martinez a bunch of people that are um on high profile stages that are unobjectively queer um I, i'm curious like where is there any point in like whenever you did were watching wrestling where you kind of felt that intersection for yourself or, or any opinions on how things have kind of moved forward over the years i mean you you know my favorite wrestler probably of all time is gold dust of course um, and <laughs> yeah and so also a, a character that never really got the the storyline that they deserved but um yeah i mean i think when i watched gold dust for the first time i was really sort of blown away at at the character and and how he was portrayed and and sort of the intersection of like comedy he was this badass but like he was androgynous and like they didn't really like they made it like cool, you know? And I think that as like some young queer person that was really into wrestling, Goldust was sort of my first like wrestler that really like confused me in a good way where I was like, mm-hmm. Oh, cool. Um, and I mean the Rhodes family, I feel like they've always been like maybe five steps ahead of the rest of the industry in a lot of ways. But um, yeah, I mean, Goldust hard, was sort of my first. Agree. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I don't know when just Goldust was so, game changing to me because I mean just the way that 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 whole character played out made me totally rethink like what a wrestler could be in in a storyline 
the um you know we you and I have talked a little bit um just you know over over coffees and smokes about queer identity in in the wrestling world and you know I I you and I had a long conversation about this probably about four or five years ago um uh I, I think one of your friends house it might have been it might have been Andrew's house actually come to think of it um possibly that's not important that's not important. The important <laughs> thing is, I, I, what I, one of the things I said to you there is, is one of the things that keeps coming to mind, and that is, as long as Vince McMahon is the major player in this industry, things are only ever gonna get better by inches. That's just who Vince is. Um, I'm. I, that is not saying that not that every, I. Every inch is still a victory. Like yeah. every every inch is still worth fighting for. But like it's we we're it's it's walking against the wind, and Vince is the fucking wind. Mm. I I you know, looking looking at looking at storylines he has had a strong creative hand in. Looking at his behavior. Uh, in interviews when when this to- this topic comes up at least you know years ago like when i you know when i, I you know when when we were doing the show and i i tried to tune in more to be able to you know give my two cents like vince vince sees it as as a tool in in the in the creative slash narrative arsenal it 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 occurs to me like that's he doesn't see it as a group of people who should be represented like and i don't i don't think that that's too far off from how he sees other 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 minority groups or at least that's how he saw them in you know in in years past i i can't speak to you know where his head's at these days yeah. i'd have to be able to tune in more you know do my do my due diligence. Yeah, well, I mean that kind of plays into that. That kind of plays into some of the stuff that, like, you're talking about the Rhodes family being ahead of the curve as much as they have been. Like Cody leaving WWE and joining up with the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega and Tony Khan to form All Elite Wrestling. Like they've been much more the the standard bearer for inclusivity. I feel in the past uh, year or two. When it comes to pro wrestling, I know that they haven't really done it with. If you believe the the interviews that Cody has has done, it, it was not done necessarily with intention. Um, but let, let's face facts: we're in we're living in a world where the all elite wrestling women's world champion is a trans woman, and that is a, something I never thought I would see when I first started yeah. watching wrestling back in 1996. Like yeah, same. I would have never accepted that. Yeah, and 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 even like yeah, we talk a lot about Vince and we talk a lot about WWE and but like they're making strides here that they have people that they've had people showcase like the rainbow flag on on WrestleMania stage. You know they've had like little bits and pieces here and there. They have also had some major missteps, um, even recently going back to December with the Liv Morgan situation, and. 
I think it's even more so one of the reasons why a lot of queer fans of wrestling have kind of delved into the independent scene as much as they have, because that's where you're seeing queer people being able to carve out their own um, slice of this industry and create their places where they can make tell their own stories and build characters that speak to that community specifically. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's just that license there. Like if you're, if you're queer and I think that people have like a a better forum in those independent circuits, you know, there's um, not Vince McMahon there to make things bad in a lot of ways. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think that the indie circuits like that, I mean, even to give Billy Corgan some credit, I mean, uh, NWA has actually had some pretty cool uh, queer storylines recently in their circuit. So yeah, awesome. I mean, Ashley Vox is on the NWA roster right now, and Ashley Vox, proud representative of the family. So, yeah, the, uh, yeah. You talked about thinking about seeing something like this back in 1998. Like, fuck, I you're talking about Vince and, and the bullshit that not, but 20 years ago. Uh, you know, I remember the fucking Perry Saturn, Chris Jericho. You know, wear a dress for however long, fiasco mm-hmm. shit. And like, ah, uh, isn't it funny? A guy's wearing a dress, like, and not, not really. It's not, not, not actually hilarious. Thank you. Yeah, it's amazing to see how far things have come. For Honestly. sure. I mean, yeah, it's kind of, you know, I feel like there's such a strange thing going on in culture in general now, where mediums that you haven't seen a lot of like queer presence in has suddenly really become prominent. I mean, that's, that's on television, that's in wrestling, um, genres and music that weren't predominantly queer, uh, even 10 years ago now have a lot of, you know, queer artists in it. So I think there's just this weird paradigm shift that's happening across the board. No, I definitely agree. Definitely agree. Um, so I guess we're kind of near the end here, but I have, I have two more questions for, for both of y'all. Um, I just want honest opinions here, personal personal memories. Um, what is the single gayest shit you've seen in a pro wrestling ring to you? What? <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, I remember when uh, Goldust basically said he fucked dead bodies. That was pretty... Oh. That was, that was pretty hardcore. I remember, um, I remember that. Yeah. I, uh, I remember... Gay, but, it, but it certainly is kinky, so I think it's a kink-positive uh, moment for sure. In fact, yes. <laughs> the, uh, my, uh, the... Mine... I will always remember uh, China and Miss Kitty's Master and Slave shirts. Um, oh, God. I will... I will always remember them, no matter what. I will always remember them in the darkest points of the night. Uh, whether I want to or not, I will always remember them. Uh, that, uh, for a lot of reasons. A, what, I, a lot of reasons. <laughs> um, a lot of reasons that were core to my development as a human being. <laughs> There are a lot of things associated with wrestling that kind of take on that connotation. I feel for a lot of the, us, um, and, <laughs> and it was it was played for for titillation. But I I do also I will always remember China as just like 
the moment where I, where it was like oh like even, like it was it was very it was like women don't have to look a specific way to be on on television or or do anything like the uh, but yeah China and Miss Kitty is definitely the 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 queer movie that I have from very early on in wrestling like huh, something is going on here that is not yeah. specifically wrestling. China was so cool. China was like yeah. the coolest China, wrestler. China, China is amazing. She is easily in my top five wrestlers as as a performer and as a person. Yeah. No, China was great. Love her. Um, final question, and this is something um, that Hollis, I'm going to put you on the spot here a little bit. Going back to our days with Open Till Midnight, one of my favorite segments that we would do on the show um, was uh, the lightning round. Oh, shit! Lightning <laughs> round! <laughs> when, I, when I least fucking suspected it, it came for me. <laughs> you had to know. You had to. That thing was like seminal. Like we did it almost every week of the show. See, uh, so. like you knew. You knew we were out of ideas. <laughs> like for what? How to fill the time on the show? When I just went, okay, lightning round. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, because we're at the end of the show, and we we'll probably do another reunion show at some point because this has been a blast, and I just enjoy talking to y'all, whether we're recording or great. not. It's I same. I miss you guys too much. I know it's been too fucking long, um, but. To close out this reunion episode of of LGBT in the Ring, how about um, if it's not too much trouble, Hollis? You want to do a quick lightning round? Do you want me to give you two a lightning round? I'm down if you are, Sarah. I'm I'm all for it. Let's do it. Okay. All right. Lightning round. Brian, best duo out of the two: Wayne and Garth or Syphilinali? Oh God, Syphilinali. Correct. Sarah, <laughs> best place to wear pants best place to wear pants that isn't on your legs. third eye. No, the correct answer is on your arms like a Frankenstein ghost. <laughs> Brian, best canned meat. Oh um knockoff spam. No, the correct answer is every one of that swim meat who laughed at you. That's oh. canned meat. Oh. <laughs> Sarah, best name for a monster truck? Uh, uh, B- Bone Fister. No, Medusa. Medusa <laughs> <laughs> is actually really cool. I, I, I feel like that is very important. Brian, best name you've ever seen given to a store brand Oh God! Um, 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 Doctor Thunder. No, the correct answer is the correct answer is Mr. Touch. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Touch is the correct answer. What do, What does Mr. Touch taste like? <laughs> that's uh, that is a that's an evil question. You have to enter the gates of hell to find out. Sarah, if you had to drink a flavor of Fago, what flavor would it be? Uh, the strawberry one. The correct answer is Mr. Touch. Mr. Touch is the answer we were looking for. 
the, uh, oh god, I had forgotten about lightning round. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> well, Hollis. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure no. I woke up my roommate who was sleeping for his night shift. I apologize. <laughs> well, we'll apologize. I'll apologize to him on Discord later. Um, <laughs> that's on me. That's my fault. I made you do this. You did. Oh, this. God. I did. I did. Hollis, Sarah, this has been a fucking blast. I can't wait to do it again. Um, let everybody know where they can find you online. Cool. Um, uh, so you can find me at Pornhub. Just kidding. Uh, maybe. Uh, and um, uh, my Twitter is at maybe Sarah Rose. My band is Sarah in the Safe Word. It's on Spotify and iTunes and healthcare.gov. Uh, our album is hidden somewhere in the portrait of Barack Obama. Um, it's it's this dimple. Um, yeah. Hey, uh, you can find me online at slendermanfuck.wikia.org. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Just we prefer we prefer the name Slindies. Sounds like chicken tendies. <laughs> the uh, you can also find me on Twitter. Just follow the line of asses. <laughs> the uh, retweeted rumps will lead you to me eventually. Yes. Good. You oh, can also God. you can yes. also, you can also find me you can also find me at at Homestuck Rumps wikia.org I'm very big in the wikia scene right now. I'm currently do you catalog- just like catalog- have every rump wikia. Yeah, I do. I do. I, I'm currently cataloging all of the rumps in Homestuck. It's uh, it's uh, it's a big job. Oh, oh no! Do you, do y'all know they did? A, they're doing a Homestuck too. It started in January. I have no comment. I, I'm I not even gonna. If we start talking about Homestuck, this is going to be another hour's worth of show. We can't do it. Yeah, yeah, we'll save that for okay. the next for the next reunion. But Jesus Christ, we'll I need about... to bleach my ears now. <laughs> we'll talk about talk about Homestuck next week. <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> this has been too much fun. Thank you all for coming on. Thank you for having us, Brian. Yeah, yeah thank you for having us. It's it's been so great to talk to y'all. God, it was just it's just so much fun finally getting to, the chance to sit down and chat with with Hollis and Sarah. That originally this that reunion episode was planned for um, back in December, whenever I was able in Atlanta. We were all going to be in the same place for the first time in years, but um, that fell through unfortunately. But I'm glad that we were able to roll it back here, even though it was under a pandemic. Um, and of course, I know Hollis is joking at the end there about where to find him on the internet, but I will let you know. You can follow him on Twitter at YesterdayBadGuy. Um, and he's, I will tell you this, as much talk as he was, as much as he was talking about uh, rumps there, yeah, he, that's very on brand for him. Uh, so <laughs> you'll definitely get a good chunk of that uh, by jumping on his Twitter timeline. And of course, you can follow Sarah over at uh, maybe at maybe Sarah Rose on Twitter and the band Sarah and the Safe Word at STSW Band. I know I mentioned that at the end of every show, but might as well get that plug out of the way early here for them because uh, honestly, Formula Six 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 is a rad song, and I'm very happy to be able to use it and promote one of my good close friends through that. Um, and then of course, follow Colette Aaron on Twitter at Colette Aaron. Um, 
and check out their work over on FanFight. Um, just they they she has been um, doing a lot of work, great work over there covering the recent uh, issues around WWE and COVID nineteen. And honestly, FanFight just has a lot of uh, there's a bit of every everything for uh, the pro wrestling fan from the fun to the critical to the introductory. Like it really is a burgeoning website for, for pro wrestling coverage, and I really enjoy it. Um, that being said, though, uh, it is time for us to make our exit here before anything else in this uh, neck-spinning <laughs> news cycle comes down the pipeline. Um, but, of course, we have to say some thank yous before we get out of here. Um, we already mentioned Sarah and the Safe Word, but you can definitely follow them um, on Twitter. You can find their music on Spotify, um, as well as on Bandcamp at sarahandthesafeword.bandcamp.com. Um, and the album that our theme song, Formula 666, is off of is called Red Hot and Holy. Um, it's it's a banger. Um, and then, of course, you can follow them on, uh, I believe, that the cover of Mexican Wine is up on YouTube as well, on their YouTube channel. And that is a, a must-see. It's It's... It's heartwarming and, and, and a fitting tribute right there. Um, and then, of course, the Progress Pride flag design uh, by Daniel Quasar is a product of Progress Initiative. You can find out more at quasar.digital. And if you're into video games, you can uh, tune in every Monday night at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific for the Mr. Video Game Super Show. It's a gaming news podcast that I host alongside two of my close friends, including the one that Hollis apparently woke up <laughs> while we were doing lightning round um, tonight. Uh, Slacker Kite and Lady Merwin, uh, two awesome Twitch streamers that I have grown to love from doing this show for a couple of years now with them. Um, but yeah, it's just two hours of fun, critical analysis, as well as just being goofballs and... and holding the video game industry to task as best we can. Um, but that's over on twitch.tv slash deadsunentertainment. Sun like the star, not like the child. Um, that's every Monday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Um, yeah, and I think I think that's going to do it for us this week. Um, stay tuned to Outsports. We're continuing our coverage throughout the uh, the pandemic and we've been putting out some really fun stuff, um, really informative stuff, and you know I am just really glad to be able to to have that group to uh, to work with there and, and I don't know if I say it enough but I'm very very thankful for that <laughs> so um, yeah it's been a blast we will see you next week um, but until then uh, stay messy wash your hands. And we'll see you next week. Everybody's Bye. Everybody's ready to die.